at Jared, we know devotion isn't a once a year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Troy Noons is an Absolute Podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casillo, and with me today is Dan Lyons and Jim Simmons, our resident Syracuse lacrosse expert. Hello, everyone. Hey, how's everyone doing? As, uh, as everyone might recall, Jim joins us uh, a couple times a season, but specifically the beginning and the end, uh, just kind of chat about uh, what's going on for the Orange so, uh, Jim, what are your expectations, uh, kind of top level for SU lacrosse? And uh, feel free to tease some stuff. I know you're working on some preview stuff for the site. Sure, sure. So, uh, you know, I was looking at the schedule uh, a while back, and I think my initial reaction w- was pretty low. And <laughs> then I went back up, and and now I've kind of settled, settled somewhere in the, in the middle. Uh, you know, the three games that are just. Uh, I think Syracuse is going to have a real tough time winning Johns Hopkins, Notre Dame, and UNC, kind of the uh, the every year tough ones. But Hopkins especially, again, this is, uh, <clears throat> for those of you who don't know, it's at uh, Baltimore again this year, uh, reason being the women's NCAA tournament, basketball tournament is going to be in the Carrier Dome. So for the second year in a row, they'll play at Hopkins. That should change uh, next year where they'll go back to the rotation um, and then we'll play at Notre Dame and at North Carolina. So the Hopkins scheduling issue kind of kind of screws us up overall, uh, just because we've now got three very tough road games. Uh, last year, SU went two and three on the road uh, and kind of struggled uh, on the road. So this year um, it, it's going to be tough. But we'll open up with uh, Siena this weekend at the Carrier Dome, 4 p.m. Uh, it's going to be on ACC Net Extra, excuse me, ACC Network Extra, so you can actually see all the games this year, uh, streaming or on TV. So it's very nice. Uh, Syracuse will get its first test of the year at Albany on February 18th. Albany, uh, they're returning Connor Fields at attack, but they lost Seth Oves, who played two years for them. Um, I don't know exactly what the situation is. It seems like it's a personal situation, but he withdrew from the university. That's my understanding. Um, also, they'll be without uh, Blaze Reardon, their, uh, their big, big goalie who's been there the last four years. You may remember him in the NCAA tournament, had that big uh, uh, goal for uh, Albany in the tournament. He just trucked it all the way downfield. Um, after that, we'll play Army. Uh, we've been playing them the last couple of years. They've always given SU a tough matchup. Uh, I think they'll be kind of experimenting on offense a little bit. They're looking for uh, someone else to step up at this point. Uh, they do have a pretty pretty decent goalie. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me, a pretty decent goalie there, but um, I, I don't expect that to be as close or as competitive as it has been in the past. Um, of course, Syracuse will have uh, its usual early season ACC matchup with Virginia. It's going to be at home. Lars Tiffany is now the coach of Virginia after that whole Dom Starzer drama we had the end of last season where he was fired, let go, he left, you know, whatever you want to call it. 
they brought in Lars from Brown. Uh, he did a, a heck of a job there. Uh, definitely buoyed by, uh, uh, <clears throat> I'm blanking on the kid's name, but they have an attackman there that's incredibly good. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see how Virginia shows up this year. It's definitely a different style that Lars played or plays compared to uh, Dom Starja. So definitely interesting to see how they kind of adjust to that. They will be without Matt Barrett, their starting goaltender. I thought and have thought Barrett was one of the best goaltenders in the ACC in the country. I've, you know, I know he's had some down games, but he has played in front of a pretty poor defense his entire career. So we'll see how Virginia shapes up you know, this weekend. Uh, I think they're playing Loyola. It's actually going to be the first uh, Twitter stream lacrosse game ever. So if you want to check them out early, they'll be around on Saturday, and you can uh, pretty easily see that. Yeah, technology. Uh, yeah, exactly. So we're, we're kind of ahead of the curve there. But uh, St. John's in the away game, uh, that shouldn't provide much of a challenge. Uh, St. John's coming off a, a pretty poor season. And then, uh, cool. yeah, as per usual, uh, it, it might be nice for them to, uh, to get into New York City, uh, maybe bring some, some recruits you know, to the game. I, I don't know. We'll see. But uh, then we have Hopkins again at Baltimore. Uh, Hopkins has been dealing with some injuries. They just lost one of their starting defensemen. Uh, they played last weekend against Navy. It's a big-time matchup there. Navy also without uh, one of their star midfielder, midfielders, uh, Rees, who's out for the season as well. Uh, you know, Hopkins kind of demolished them, but their, their goalie is actually a kid from Michigan who played four years or three years and is a graduate transfer. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how well they can they can stop the goals. Um, I, I think Hopkins will still be very competitive. Uh, I, I don't know if Syracuse will be able to uh, to take them down, but Duke after that at home always a tough game against Duke. But they've uh, they've had some significant losses, and if you're paying attention, last weekend they played uh, Air Force, lost to Air Force. Not unusual for Duke to have a couple early season losses. I think uh, they were about 6-4 and four heading into ACC play last year. Uh, losses to Richmond, Harvard, Air Force, um, and one other team. But, you know, so an early season loss for them is, is nothing to, to get worried about. Uh, Donowski has done a great job in, you know, in keeping those guys together during early season troubles, so... I have no worries that they're going to step up their game. They are playing a lot of freshmen, so it's kind of a young team, maybe lacking some leadership right now, looking for someone to step up. Notre Dame, away game. Uh, South Bend is actually a really great place to, uh, <laughs> great venue. They always get a good crowd. Uh, it's a tough place to play. Uh, Notre Dame's defense is pretty stout this year. Uh, they bring back three big-time scores, but after that, I don't think they have the depth on offense. So it's their, it's their defense that really is uh, leading the way for them. Uh, then we kind of uh, we kind of stay around the Syracuse area, playing at Hobart. Hobart's another team that always plays tough. They are uh, projected to be either the the top you know top team in their league or the second team in their league. Uh, they're coming into a pretty good season. Playing for the uh, Cross Simmons Trophy as as usual uh, during that game, so rivalry game. Watch out! Can often be a trap game for us. Uh, Cornell after that, who Syracuse lost to last year, 
gave up a season high turnovers uh, last year, and you know most likely that was the uh, that was the downfall for them in 2016 against Cornell. But don't expect much from Cornell. They are returning uh, their their uh, starting faceoff guy and. Dominic Massimilian, um, he's a, a real stud at the Fogo, and give uh, Ben Williams some, some big troubles. So watch that matchup during that game. Carolina after that, at Carolina, uh, you know, this is a team that definitely could repeat. Uh, they didn't lose a whole lot of guns. So they, uh, they, they're coming to play this year, and, and I'm a little bit worried about them. I don't think that there's any chance Syracuse can pull off a win uh, this year at North Carolina. Uh, finish well. Don't finish up, but we we finish up the regular season before the ACC championship against Binghamton. There's one more game after the ACC championship, and it's at Colgate. Don't I, I, those two teams kind of just warm ups. Uh, Colgate probably be a little better than last year, uh, but again, they they had a real down year year last year, so they're they're kind of looking to step up and and you know look and see if they can find some scores. So. Ultimately, you know, I, I think this is a 10-3 and three season. Um, I think that's pretty good for Syracuse. Uh, some, some may disagree, but in this it's new era. Bid. Yeah, exactly. It's a tournament bid. Although, as we found out last year, you know, seeding may be uh, volatile a little bit. So, we'll see what happens. But I'm pretty optimistic after, you know, looking at the scrimmages and, and seeing some of, the, uh, some of the articles from the scrimmages, obviously. Can't go, live a little far away, but uh, pretty optimistic this year. Awesome. Well, thanks for that detailed breakdown, Jim. Uh, so, Dan, what questions do you have right off the top? Um, just, you know, hearing Jim's pretty thorough breakdown of the schedule and, and looking at, you know, what you know about the team. Uh, yeah, I mean, I haven't had a chance to totally dive in. It's, it's crazy to me that we're, like, on the precipice of lacrosse season on February 8th, um, which just, it seems <laughs> like it sneaks up. Like, we have, like, lacrosse creep uh, every year. Um, I'm excited to see what happens, uh, what we got going on with Jordan Evans. Obviously, I thought he started to flash a little bit towards the end of last season. He's come in with so much hype and kind of struggled to live up to it at times uh, last year. Um, and he's going to have a lot on his shoulders this year. Uh, I want to see, obviously, Ben Williams kind of just do what he's been doing. Um, there isn't You can't really improve much. I, I think last year it almost seemed like he wasn't quite as dominant as the year before, although that might just be, like... Uh, perception bias as he was so good two years ago. Um, but I'm excited just to see it's been so so nice to have like a dominant face off die after like four or five years where it was a real struggle. Um, and then just kind of reading through some of, uh, some of your lacrosse content so far this year, uh, really interested to see how Evan Malloy does. Um, just he's uh, obviously that's going to be a, a huge shoot of the season. And we've had some, some up and down uh, goalie play since uh, John Dalloway was on campus. Um, so I think there's a, there's a fair amount of questions, but I think uh, Syracuse should be about as like high ceiling as it ever is, and, and obviously it's a tough schedule, but the ACC gives you a lot of opportunities, and lacrosse, like it does in basketball, which we talk about every week. Um, so, I, I mean, I think if, if this team kind of gets to where it can be, uh, you know, they'll be fighting for a Final Four again, which is what we always want. Yeah, yeah, Dan. I, you know, Malloy, he's coming off a game against Maryland where he made just four saves. Defense hung him out to dry a little bit during that game. Uh, you know, Syracuse just was not at the caliber that Maryland was at during that, you know, NCAA tournament run they had. Uh, but he has, you know, steadied the ship considerably. I had my, you know, thoughts on, uh, on Warren, you know, last year before Malloy took over. Uh, but 
the biggest asset that Malloy brings is the fact that he is such a great communicator. You hear the coaches talking about it, and you can hear it when you watch the broadcast too. You can hear him yelling. But on the clears, you watch him. He's directing the you know the clear game uh, on defense. You know it's his voice you're hearing. Uh, you know even last year with Brandon Mullins, who was kind of a, a quieter guy, you'd be hearing Malloy's uh, voice, and, and he knows the game. He knows the defense very well. Uh, he's saying he's in the best shape of his life, so he, he seems like he's ready to go. He's fired up. Uh, I mean, you said it with the Fogos. You know, Ben Williams did slip a little last year. Uh, you know, that's just—I uh, think that's just what happens when you have so much tape on a guy, and uh, you know that you can study his moves. Additionally, you know, some different face-off rules that came into play. Can't use the shoulders. Can't touch the other guy's stick. Uh, the face-off rules, I, I think, hard to enforce and very subjective. But nevertheless, uh, I think those had an effect on him as well. Uh, his downside, it's only a slight downside, he tends to turn the ball over, or not turn the ball over, but he has a tendency to, uh, every once in a while, make a, a poor pass and, and looks at times a little like he was rushing to get rid of the ball. He's not a guy that wants to take it on offense. He's not a guy that wants to score. Uh, but he did sort of calm down towards the end of the season. So I, I think he's definitely gotten more comfortable in, in that role. The good news is that Cal Paduta is backing him up. Uh, he's been very capable, and I think from you know listening to Desco during the preseason, he definitely has a lot more confidence, and sounds like he has a lot more confidence in Peduta. So I, I think we're all set there. Um, you know, attack. You mentioned Jordan Evans. Attack is the big question this year, just like it was last year. You know, last year we were coming to the season, and and basically we had Dylan Donahue. Uh, it was assumed Jordan Evans was going to come into the role, and no one really knew how good Tim Barber would be. Uh, but you know. Again, we've got two guys leaving, Donahue, Barber, totaled for 104 points last season. Uh, and Evans, you know, it, when you come into school as the number one recruit and then you know, they hand you the, the number 22, it, it's, really, it's really hard, unless you're going to be a superstar, to, to walk away from those expectations and get out of that shadow. But, you know, it, it's hard to say he's, he's been a total disappointment at all. I mean, he's got 35 points last year. 27 goals. He was active. Um, you know, he, he actually was in the top 50 in uh, shooting percentage uh, in the country last year. So he's capable, more than capable. Um, he just he gets a lot of lot of negatives because of the high expectations. I will say he has a, a real knack for turning the ball over at poor times. Um, that's that's really I think the big knock on him. Uh, he and Donnie had the most turnovers, were tied for the most turnovers on the team last year, uh, 27 apiece, I believe. So looking for him to uh, kind of calm down with the ball a little bit. Uh, he was expected to be the quarterback coming into the year, but it seems like he might be sharing that role with Nate Solomon, uh, who is probably going to be the number two attackman. Uh, Nick Mariano is probably going to fill in at the third attack spot. Mariano, uh, you guys may remember, was playing with Salcedo last year on the first line midfield, and the two of them just killed it. Uh, Salcedo, former walk-on, just out of nowhere, putting up big numbers. Mariano transferred from UMass, so these two guys out of nowhere um, just became huge you know, contributors for Syracuse. So splitting them up, I, I don't know how it's going to work. We're going to find out. Mariano played attack at UMass, played attack in high school. Uh, I believe he led UMass in goals his freshman and sophomore year, uh, but it'll be interesting to see him back on um, back on attack with you know a long pole on him now again. Uh, 
you know, as before, defenses had to kind of choose who are you going to pull, you know, was it going to be Salcedo or was it going to be Mariano? So it, it'll be interesting to see how he switches back to that attack position if he just, you know, kind of feels right in. Again, if you're sharing the ball between, um, between Evans and Solomon at the quarterback position, Mariano's a guy who he's not, you know, he's not looking for feeds all the time. He's a dodger from, you know, especially the alley position. And he does a great job with it. He can burn a guy. He can just physically outmuscle a guy getting to the goal. So it's going to help those two guys out a lot for Mariano to be there and kind of take the pressure off of them, especially Solomon, um, who got into a few games last year and he had eight goals. But he's still young. Uh, he's definitely you know, a big part of that future. And I think making him into more of a quarterback position type player is going to benefit them in the future. But for right now, we'll, we'll see kind of how it develops. Certainly this team and the offense is still trying to figure itself out. And, and Desco has alluded to that a lot. But it looks like we're set for now. Uh, defensively, you, know, you lose Brandon Mullins, Jay McDermott. Those are two big losses. Uh, right now, it does not look like Mellon is going to be ready for Siena. He was dealing with an injury in the preseason. Um, so, you know, I, I think we're going to see uh, Furman. He, he should be playing uh, the majority of games at close defense, formerly a, a long stick midfielder. He'll be playing defense. Marcus Cunningham will probably be the, uh, the second guy with Mellon out. And I think Tyson Bombray will probably be filling in uh, for Nick Mellon. Uh, Bombay is actually a cousin of Brendan Bombay, who transferred from Denver over the offseason. Uh, Tyson Bombay, Six Nations guy, uh, another long stick midfielder. Uh, pretty big expectations for him as well. Uh, I think we could also see a little bit of Nick DiPietro coming in, maybe rotating a little bit with Bombay in that position with Mellon out. So, a lot of questions, but it, defensively, when Mellon comes back, it's definitely more set midfielders, it, it's about as deep as it's ever been. An attack, just kind of waiting to see how things flesh themselves out in terms of how these guys react to one another. Fair enough. I've always said you can never have too many Bomberries. <laughs> <laughs> so we should be in good shape. taste like Bomberries. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, Jim, I know you're kind of, you know, in a hurry to, to get out of here in a few. So, just before you leave, uh, Quick thoughts. Who are your four Final Four teams, and could Syracuse be one of them? Sure. You know, Syracuse could definitely be one of them. I, I just don't think they will be. Uh, I think they may be more set coming to next year to be a Final Four team. But, uh, you know, this year you gotta you got to give the nod to UNC. I think they're probably the favorite right now to, to repeat. Uh, Maryland also up there. Denver lost two guys last year. Uh, Miller and Bombay. Bombay obviously went to Q's. Uh Miller left the team. It's kind of unclear why. Those two guys actually went to Denver uh, together. Uh, Bombay followed Miller there. They were best friends or, or very close friends growing up, and I, I think they chose their schools based on one another. So Bombay left, and then Miller left, and, and it's kind of thought that there's a, a decent chance Syracuse could potentially buy for him later on, uh, you know, coming from next year. But I still think Denver is in your top four. And then for me, it's Maryland. Uh, I think ultimately my top two teams are Maryland, and, excuse me, Maryland and UNC. Uh, you know, one, of the, one of the guys on attack for Maryland, Dylan Maltz, former Q's guy, transferred Maryland. 
you know, how nice would it have been to have him the last two seasons playing attack, you know, filling in next to, to Donahue last year and this year kind of potentially would have been leading the attack. So that, that was, you know, happened a couple of years ago, but still feeling the effects from that. So those are my four teams. Uh, if I had to, gun to my head, had to pick, I'd say UNC is, is probably my team to repeat. Sadly, I'm going to have to agree. Uh, and I think that that's a pretty fair top four if I had to go for any. I think this year does have a little bit of an upper crust as opposed mm. to maybe some previous years that saw Definitely. seven or eight teams kind of battling it out. Uh, Dan, any, uh, any additional thoughts on that? No, I mean, I think that's all very fair. I haven't taken a dive into uh, like the, the greater lacrosse season yet, but uh, it definitely seems like this might be a little bit of a rebuild just with a lot of new guys stepping into much bigger roles than we haven't been trusting to. Um, but we've had you know years where these kind of teams have, have taken off really quickly. We've had years where these teams have gone off to really slow starts, so it's, it's tough to really know um, until we see the team you know get out there this weekend. Uh, but it's, I mean, it's exciting to have. I, I always enjoy having this little crossover where we get a little bit of lacrosse, well, no pun intended, a little bit of lacrosse <laughs> interspersed with our basketball. Um, and a couple of weeks ago, obviously, we thought this would be a, a much more uh, necessary time. Now now we have a, a little bit more to look forward to on both ends. But um, always fun to get going with the, uh, with the guys in the field. Yeah, and uh, you know, keep an eye on uh, another team, Loyola. Uh, they've got a fresh, or sophomore now, Pat Spencer, who stole the show for them last year. Um, it'd be kind of cool to see if, if he can repeat his performance. He had a huge, huge year as a freshman. So Loyal is kind of expected to be up there as well. Notre Dame, we'll see what happens with them. But they're expected to be there. Um, games this weekend to take a look at if you're kind of a little bored. Uh, Duke's got high point on Friday. It's the only Friday game. Um, obviously, Duke lost last weekend to Air Force. So, See if they can bounce back, but they're playing on uh, on Sunday well against Cleveland State. Cleveland State is that tier team. Um, played Michigan last weekend, lost. Uh, but, you know, it, it's kind of cool to see them starting out their program. UVA Loyola, I mentioned, is on Twitter. Definitely check it out. It's going to be gonna be fun to see what Lars Tiffany is going to do with this UVA uh, program here, how he's going to change it a little bit. Uh, obviously, like I said, they're without Barrett. Uh, they also dismissed another player from the team, so... Somewhat of a new look for them. Um, we'll see how it how it shapes up. And then uh, Air Force at Denver. Air Force coming off a big win. Denver looking to get back to the national championship after a big, big loss to, uh, lost to Towson last year in the first round of the tournament. Um, and then finally, Lehigh and Jacksonville, if only for the reason that you know, you've got John Galloway and Casey Powell coaching the team now. So... Be uh, fun to see those guys on the sideline and uh, see see exactly what they've put together for us. Agreed, agreed. Well, Jim, uh, so I don't think I'll let you go, but really do appreciate uh, you coming on and, and educating the masses with some uh, <laughs> some lacrosse knowledge that Dan and I would not be able to uh, to impart at this juncture, at least. Yeah, I always love to do it. You know, happy to hop on any time. So just let me know. All right. Will do. Thanks, Jim. All right, take care, Thanks, guys. Jim. Later. All right, uh, Jim just signed off, but Dan and I are still here. Hope everyone got their uh, their fill of lacrosse for, uh, for kind of the preseason preview. Um, Dan, on our front, um, 
We're going to jump into halftime and then kind of fill the rest of the show with Syracuse basketball. But quick, what the hell is going on with Syracuse basketball? Um, I, I, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> what do you want from me? <laughs> no, it's just, it's insane. Like, they're, they just, uh, it's, it's crazy. I, I have no idea what has happened over the last five games. Um, just, it, not only is it that they're winning games, like, if they had just turned it around and, like, whatever, they're winning games, and the games have been so high pressure, so, like, edge of your seat every single time. I mean, I guess Florida State, they beat by 10, but that game was close late. Uh, Wake Forest was close the whole time. Um, obviously, Virginia, you know, went right down to the wire. Then the two the two buzzer beaters on the road. Um, Virginia, obviously, Syracuse kind of took over overtime, but... Like, just in craziness, three big comebacks in a row. It's like, I mean, from an entertainment standpoint, you can't really ask for much more. I don't know that it's, like, the healthiest thing to follow. I think I tuned the other night, like, nothing about this team is good for your health because you, uh, except for the fact that now when we're down 15, like, you don't automatically think it's over. Uh, But still, it's just, it's unbelievable what what they've turned into uh, over the last, like, two weeks. Yeah, I think, like, and you and I like started wading into the waters of like, well, what if we turn this thing around? Like, a couple weeks ago, and I feel like we still didn't expect this, um, which is just very. I mean, that you could see the pieces that created this in advance, um, and then we just had so many results that said it wasn't going to happen, and now to see suddenly it not only happened but happened over and over again in similar ways against better teams. I mean, Clemson's probably not a better team, but playing at home. Wake's not a better team, but again, like, one that isn't necessarily, like, significantly worse than we are. Um, And then obviously beating better teams like UVA, beating better team like Florida State, playing NC State on the road not too soon after they knocked off. Um, Dude, like, this is very much a team that has all the pieces and talent, just like Jim Beheim was saying before the season started, and now it's just it's it's a shock to the system for down you know formerly downtrodden Syracuse fans to see this all kind of come together in in what appears to be quick fashion. Yeah, and, and it's crazy because like the games haven't re- resembled each uh, each other so much. Obviously, we have the Dylan game, which was just out of control, and he's had two good games. I mean, he had two, two good games in a row, but the forty three points was like. The best game we've had in, from a Syracuse player in years since probably the Jerry BYU tournament game. Um, you've had Wyden's been consistent. You've had White, who is pretty much good for twenty every night, even if he's pretty quiet doing it. Uh, you've had games where Roberson stepped up. Like everyone's chipping in, and while we're putting a pretty big tax on the six guys that play most of the minutes, um, I think one of the nice things that you can say is while. It's been kind of a trial by fire in terms of the style of play with guys like White and Dylan, who are new to the program, obviously. They're both still veterans, and the one thing they know how to do is play a 40-minute game. Uh, and Leiden seems very well-conditioned, and he's really good at managing his fouls, even when he's playing center. Um, Roberson, you know, is kind of a head case, but he's, you know, he gets up and down the floor, and he, he can play minutes when he's playing well. The only guy who's really not accustomed to it is Thompson. Um, Battle, you know, is playing like 30 minutes a game as well. So, uh, for whatever reason, it doesn't seem like the, the small rotation has really taxed the Syracuse team like it has some in the past that have played on shorter rotations. Now, that might come and bite 
uh, when we get to tournament play, and you know they're playing every other night, but um, and especially the ACC tournament, which could still be really huge for uh, tournament chances now uh, if Syracuse finishes like eighteen or nineteen wins. Um, but I think the that the fact that this team, while new to the system, is still a pretty veteran squad in terms of uh, actual like college basketball. Uh, uh, experience could wind up helping um, because you don't have to worry as much about these guys not being prepared to play a full game if necessary. This is true. Um, and something we're going to revisit shortly. Um, but first, Dan, what have you been drinking of late? Uh, well, I was up in Syracuse uh, over the weekend uh, for like a day. It's a super long trip. I was up there for the game. Um, a couple of local things stopped at Middle Ages, so had pretty much the whole gambit of Middle Ages stuff. Uh, most notably, their Jester's Nectar, which is really good. Uh, they also had, I forgot to untap it, but uh, I had like a taste of uh, one of their new ones. I'll, I'll look it up in a second here. Um, also had uh, some Bourbon County uh, Stout, which uh, was at J. Ryan's, which was wonderful. Um, also a couple different singles. Uh, J. Ryan's actually, for whatever reason, J. Ryan's is like a better single cut set than like as far as in New York, uh, which is this flavor or the New York thing. We have a little around weekend, I'd say. Awesome, awesome. Um, all right, on my end, uh, some things that I had. Oh, well, of course. Yeah, we uh, we talked about Chucks quite a bit um, weeks ago. I don't want to revisit. That said, I'm glad that I get to see it one more time before the, the Chucks, as we know it at least, um, says goodbye. Um, what did I drink in the last week? Okay, I had a... Uh, it's kind of interesting. A Cranberry Blonde from Absolution. Uh, that's right over here in Torrance. Uh, that was, I mean, it wasn't great, but it was it was decent. Thought it was an interesting uh, combination. Had a uh, Maximum Chaos um, double IPA from Hop Saint, another local spot. Had a, from the brewery. Had some sour in the rye with kumquats. That was very good. Had uh, went down to Smog City, uh, which I mention all the time on here. Opened up a uh, kind of remote location down in Long Beach. Um, this pretty cool spot, uh, Steelcraft. Um, so I grabbed some Snuggle Bug, uh, which I've mentioned on here multiple times. It's, uh, raspberry, boysenberry, uh, sour blonde. Um, accompanied that with a uh, a macaroni and cheese cheeseburger that uh, that I had, which was pretty much one of the richest and most like ridiculous things I've ever eaten. But it was very very good. I don't know if anybody does something like that by you, Dan, but I would highly recommend it because it's a uh, it, it's a fun yet very disturbing eat at the same time. I saw the picture that you posted of that, and I didn't quite know how to react to it. <laughs> so Which is basically my default, like, Syracuse basketball uh, reaction to this. Be like, I, I don't know what's happening here. Yeah, just, just shrug. <laughs> no, yeah, they, uh, they basically decided to, uh, to fry macaroni and cheese well enough that it could be a, two sides of a bun on a burger. I don't know. I... Well, that sounds wonderful, and I don't know that God intended that for, for that to happen. No, probably not. Although, I still think it's better than like what KFC is planning right now. That, uh, that fried chicken pizza. Yeah, I mean, that sounds ridiculous, and then you just think about it, you're like, oh, that's what, I mean, that's just chicken parm. Except they put like pineapple and ham on it, because they're ridiculous. But like, 
you just have the tie the, the the pineapple ham off it, that's just chicken parm. Yeah, it's like, just bad. Except it's gonna be gross. Cause it's right. It's just gonna be gross. Cause it's a KFC, so it'll be like really awful sauce and like probably cheddar cheese. Cause they're just you know, who knows? That's all they have. I buy that. Uh, what else have I been drinking? Okay, um, had had befuddlement. I mentioned that a couple weeks ago. It's a uh, boysenberries. Um, with a uh, sour rye ale, Asian bourbon barrels. Had a had a couple San Diego pale ales on Sunday, and then I, like an idiot, switched beers in the fourth quarter. And of course, we all know what happened next. So I blame myself for what happened to the Falcons. Um, switched over to a Salvation Dark Ale from Russian River, um, and then yesterday, no, like two days ago, was randomly sitting around and just popped open a foam top from. Beechwood, just a, a good uh, blonde ale. The Migos are never going to produce Beechwood. I mean, I, I can't blame them. Oh. <laughs> so, what we were talking about was the, the wild and crazy last couple weeks of Syracuse basketball. Um, Dan, if you had to pick right now, is Syracuse in the NCAA tournament? Oh. Yes, I think. I don't know. Like I, I, we've been. I think we've been pretty appropriately slow playing this because, like, I know some people hopped on this way early, like after just like the Florida State win, and I was like, we still have work to do, and these lo- the losses are still really bad. Like, I think people forget how bad the losses are. The BC I one think in particular. Yeah, the BC one. If you just take away like one of the losses that Syracuse has we're right fine. now, we're, we're in good shape. The problem is like it's the accumulation. I think Syracuse has a couple things working for it. The, the wins are going to be... They're probably going to have the best resume of wins on the bubble. Um, just because, like, they have they have two top ten wins now. Both are at home, obviously. Now they have a, a pair of not, like, great, but pretty good road wins. Like, at Clemson, at NC State. Those aren't... The ACC, like, there, there's what? There's one bad team. And Syracuse, of course, lost to it. And, and you know, at least split with it. Um, and even BC, obviously, we talk about it all the time. is like, not as bad as it has been. But, like, 1 through 14... Those aren't, like, there's no bad slot in there. There's, like, some mediocre ones, and Clemson and NC State are definitely more mediocre than others. Um, but I think getting wins on the road in Raleigh and at Clemson are pretty good. Um, and now we have two of them. Hopefully get a third by the time the season's out. Uh, obviously, Florida State and Virginia, yeah, I think those wins will hold up. I think those are two of the best teams in the country. Um, and it's I, I think the fact that Syracuse is peaking so hard right now Assuming it doesn't collapse down the stretch here, uh, and hopefully can win an ACC tournament, ACC tournament game, um, really bodes well because I know that the like five, the last ten games or whatever isn't as strong as it used to be, isn't like as pre- uh, prevalent a, a thing that the, the committee looks at. Um, but I think it's natural to look at uh, a team's growth during the season and their development and and which teams are peaking right at, at the end. And I think depending. Depending on how the committee goes, if a narrative for Syracuse is built and put out there, I think it really helps because Syracuse is a team where, of six primary rotation guys, two of two were on the team last year um, and two played. Uh, so you have a team that's really developed during the year. You have a team that was kind of thrown together haphazardly, and and the struggles that we probably you know we we downplayed going into the year obviously were as bad as bad as you could have imagined. But now they're playing as well as anyone, and uh, you know I, I think it's more. I think it's always appropriate to uh, look at 
what the team is doing heading into March versus what it was in like November, because that's the team you're getting. So as Syracuse has work to do, I don't think they can go like right down the stretch and feel good. Um, I think they need to hopefully beat Georgia Tech twice. I know that's tough to Georgia Tech's better than we thought, but at least once steal one from Louisville if you can. Um, beating Duke, I mean, Duke's uh, kind of uh, an enigma right now, but they're definitely beatable. Um, and, you know, say you win two or three of those, uh, and then an ACC tournament game, which could be uh, after a buy or two, based on where Syracuse is sitting right now. Probably not two. I don't think Syracuse is going to sit around in the top four. Yeah. But top eight's reasonable, I think. Yeah, um, 20 wins. If they get to 20, I think they're in. If they get to 19, I think they have a good case. After below that, it's tough. But I feel pretty good about things just based on how well they're playing. Um, I think uh, I think it would be very disappointing if they totally fell apart. Because then it would seem like this was just a, a blip. Uh, and I'm now starting to choose to believe that this might just be the team that they're becoming. Um, and I know that's kind of flies in the face of where we've been. But now we have some real pro, uh, you know, prolonged evidence that this team is getting a lot better. Yeah, I mean, we, I mean, this now is a five-game stretch of very similarly good play against quality opponents. I don't really think you can argue against it anymore. Um, I know I just pulled up, uh, while you were talking, my article about, um, you know, this was on January 26th. What would it realistically take for Syracuse to make the NCAA tournament? And back then, it was very much hedging, and it was very much a slow play. Now, I think this is something that we can look back on and, and kind of, you know, check the boxes. Uh, started with, I said, win a game or three on the road. Um, said win one, and this is quoting myself, win one and you're on the right track, two and now you're getting better, three, you're cooking with gas. We're already at two. The way I ranked these games in order of likelihood were Clemson, NC State, Pitt, Georgia Tech, and Louisville in that order. We already grabbed the first two. If we grab Pitt on Saturday, I'd be, I'd be hard-pressed to hold SU's road resume to that point against them anymore I, I wouldn't anymore at this point either but I think three gets us there um, for sure um, it said beat two ranked teams was was one of the boxes to check um, at the time there were five opportunities for that Florida State, Virginia, Louisville twice and Duke um, we already beat two of those and actually the two at the time higher ranked teams now louisville's ranked higher than both virginia and florida state um and then we haven't gotten to this point yet but win at least two acc tournament games i said that then but i also didn't realize what we'd be able to do in the meantime i I think i agree with you that at one is is probably the mark as long as we get to 19 wins in the regular season which if we can go you know three and three down the stretch I, I feel like I don't really feel like that's a stretch anymore I mean it's obviously two against Louisville and Duke are, are both tough and there really is an easy game left but I, I have a if this team plays like it has I don't see how they can't find at least three wins against Pitt Georgia Tech twice Louisville twice and Duke yeah I actually forgot that we had Pitt like Nets uh, when I was outlining it but yeah I agree I think we're at 15. I think at 19, as long as, I don't know, even if you have the, the weakest uh, the weakest wins out of 19, based on how the ACC is this year, like, you still have Virginia and Florida State banked, and I think those teams will be flirting with the top 12 at the end of the year. So it's, it's really tough. Um, obviously, this is all, like, 
way easier said than done. There's, I mean, Syracuse could lose out, and it wouldn't be the craziest thing in the world. Yeah. And then we um, wouldn't make it, and based on how the team started, we, because we didn't do what we were supposed to. But right now, right. we would have we would have two better wins than any of our best wins from last year. Yes, uh, absolutely. So I, I'd say if they win three of the next seven, which includes an ACC tournament game, I think they're probably right in the bubble. If they win four, um, I, I struggle to think they wouldn't be in. Based on a, a fairly weak bubble, uh, a really resurgent Syracuse team, um, one that's now had a couple of big victories, uh, both in terms of like splashy and, and name wins, and then also like two top ten wins. Um just, I think a lot. I think there'd be a lot going for SU. Um, obviously, the, the losses will continue to hurt. And even if Syracuse gets in, let's say just a, let's say you keep on just like wiping the floor with everyone here uh, and just on this torrid run. Um, odds are we're gonna be looking at a Syracuse in, uh, in a similar seating position as last year, maybe a little higher um, if they get in, maybe around eight or eight or nine. So that's not ideal. But I mean, if you if you told me in January, like around when you wrote that article, that we'd be anywhere near the tournament, I'd be thrilled no matter what. And I still kind of think at this point, you know, just get in and see what happens. Because last year, obviously, we got in and we saw what happened. Um, things broke for us. Uh, we, you know, got lucky in some regards and then played our best basketball in some, and, you know, pretty much all the way to UNC. Uh, so that's really all you can ask for now. Um, but it, it's kind of miraculous that we're, we're sitting here with uh, a very realistic, like, I don't know, would you put, would you put our odds at, at above 50-50 now? I think they're probably, like, but we, I, I think they're right around 50% to dead end, maybe a little higher. I think right now, I know I looked at team rankings, and they said our odds were 62%. I That seems a little high. But, that seems a little high, but I'd put it, I'd put it around 55. I'd put us around 55 right now, because like you said, the, the weak bubble is, is something to really look out for. Um, like, it is absolute trash, and, and that's a good thing for us. Like, there's just a lot of really bad teams sitting there. It's not... We haven't, to be honest, since the field expanded to 68, we've rarely had a pretty strong bubble there. I think it's kind of proof that we didn't need the extra games, but whatever. No, definitely. <laughs> I think we have a weak bubble almost every year now. <laughs> yeah, like it's always weak, which means like one team can just win a game or two in the, in the conference tournament and find themselves in. Um, for those who wanted Syracuse out of the tournament, the weak bubble and the 68-team tournament is how that happens as well. Um I don't really care anymore. I, I think, yeah, as long as SU can get in. I, I'm still with you. I I know you trend realistic. I trend pessimistic. So obviously we're going to be looking at this a little bit more pragmatically than any, well, they say the most Syracuse fans. But, yeah, I, I think we can be cautiously optimistic now. And, and I think each win probably adds about five imaginary percentage points to the likelihood from here on out. Yeah, I, I think that's. I think it's all very fair. And the nice thing is that while there are still some winnable games, notably the Pitt and the two Georgia Tech games, um, like none of those are bad wins. Like those are those are all teams that like we're not going to not get credit for winning those games, especially the two road games. Um, if if they can pull out the two road games, that'd be huge. Because then you have four, um, and obviously they're all you know it's four of the last five. So I think they would really get some credit there. And just like. I think this is kind of reductive, but if Syracuse finishes in like the top six of the ACC, are, uh, so are they going to leave the, the number like let's I hypothetically like leave the number six team in the ACC out? It just I really struggle to believe that. Even if that like even if 
obviously there are unbalanced schedules and everything else, and that's like a stupid way to do it. I just find it hard to believe that with the ACC as strong as, as it is this year, and what's clearly like the best conference this year, uh, because like so many teams in the Big Ten have have fallen way short of expectations. So, like, look at Michigan State losing by like a hundred last night to Michigan, and uh, not a particularly good Michigan team either. Um, and you know the Big Twelve has you know lost a couple of teams that used that were pretty good last year. Obviously, Baylor's better than they they have been, but it's not you know a great top to bottom league. SEC is the SEC, maybe it's a little better than normal, but like the ACC, I think feel like is just easily the deepest team we have, the deepest league we have. Um, I think the ACC is going to get a bunch of teams in, and if Syracuse is sitting in the top half, like I just struggle to think that they're going to get left out because I think we're going to get like a. Uh, you know, the tide lifts all boats here with the ACC just because there aren't a lot of better options across the country. I would agree, though I just looked up the 2007 Big East standings just for the hell of it. Was that what, was that the, uh, I don't know, what, how many did the Big East get in that year? This was not that year. This was... This wasn't, that was like, what, 2011 when Syracuse got screwed with Marquette, but there were like 10 teams? That year, no, this was, this was 2007 when... When we finished twenty four and eleven, oh right, and we yeah. we did finish sixth in that Big East with a ten and six record, and we did make the tournament. That's fair, but I even like the Big East was great. The I don't even of think that the league was was shit. The bottom was bad, and I don't think the Big East, and I don't think this was fa- this was fair. I don't think the Big East was ever given its due to the level that the ACC is now because the ACC consolidated power really effectively. Um, so the like a lot of people knew the Big East was the best league most years. But there were still like holdouts saying that the ACC was when I don't think that was f- true well, most time names. most years. Now because of the consolidation um, with the ACC and then you know the AAC is irrelevant and the Big East is nice but small. Um, I think the AAC the ACC now has an even better rep. Even if it's I don't think this year it's unearned. I think this is a really really deep league. Maybe not a lot of great teams but a lot of really good teams. Um, but I think that the they're going to get more credit than the Big East used to. Well, yeah, and I think there's several factors to that. I think, one, the ACC has already proven itself. I think, not, not the old, old, the old, old Big East proved itself in the tournament and in the regular season. I think yeah. the Big East that you and I are much more familiar with in our formative years, and you know, from probably middle school to high school on, um, that league, on the other hand, was one that, you know, beat each other up too much in the regular season. Um, and just didn't seem to have enough gas in the tank um, once it got to the NCAA tournament. You look at what the ACC... Hold your ears, everyone, except for UConn. They did really well. (laughs) Fine. Okay, open up. Fine. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) look at... I mean, you just look at what the ACC did last year, how many teams they were able to get, you know, to the Sweet 16, to the Elite 8, to the Final Four. You know, despite not winning at all, um, they came, obviously, within seconds of doing so uh, in the form of UNC. Like... The Big East, the Big East got its due, but it also got, it also got taken apart a little bit because from detractors, because you know you, you saw a clear demarcation line. I'd say program-wise, I mean, and again, I'm lo- sitting here looking at 2007 standings as a barometer. Um, you know, the, the cut line was kind of St. John's. You know, got its due for what it had been, not what it was. So like St. John's, Providence, and then like everything else was kind of trash. So like South Florida, Rutgers. Cincinnati's never really gotten it to do as a program. Uh, I think, you know, again, Providence was hot and cold. DePaul was trash and still is trash. Like, Marquette, I, I think, doesn't really know what it is anymore since Buzz Williams left. Like, 
like you said, consolidation helped because everyone saw the Big East for the programs that were at the top. So that's Georgetown, Louisville, Syracuse, Notre Dame, um, UConn. But the problem is, like, half of those schools are now in the ACC, along with all the other schools that people used to prop up the ACC as the best conference. And you look down the line in the ACC, and there aren't a ton of programs that haven't accomplished something. Um, You know, Clemson notably hasn't accomplished anything um, as a program. Florida State has actually been a lot better of late. Miami, while it was bad until about 1990, um, has become a much better program in the last 20, 30 years. So, like... The ACC just doesn't have the dead weight that the Big East, at least as it was comprised at the end, was always going to have. Yeah, I agree with that, and especially this year. Like, I again, I think there have been years in both the old Big East and the old ACC, and, and like the ACC since we've joined, that have been way more top heavy than this league. I just like I this league is so deep; it's crazy. Um, it's you can make an argument that like. I mean, look at Clemson. Clemson, I think, is better than a third, than your normal thirteen and ten team. And uh, you know, they they took Syracuse to the wire. Not that Syracuse is like great, but they're pretty decent apparently. Um, but there they are, being at three and eight in in, in conference. Uh, Wake Forest, same thing. Uh, and Georgia Tech, who's had some really nice wins, five and six, five and seven. Miami's five and five. Virginia Tech is five and five. Like this, this is just a, an absolute bloodbath of a league. Um, NC State has some super talented players. They're three and nine. Uh, Pitt. Same thing, two and nine. So, I just think that this league um, is is just way deeper than I can remember. And obviously, BC's at the end, but um, there's just no there's no break one to fourteen. No. It's it's really impressive, uh, and I do think that we are largely getting credit for it. Um, we'll see how it does. We have, we haven't gotten like into full bracketology season this weekend. I think we have that like early. They're doing basically like the the basketball version of the college football playoff rankings, which. Uh, is uh, a dumb exercise and also uh, will be great for content, so I don't mind it. Um, but but uh, I'm really interested to see what it looks like then, because that's what we'll really find out. You know, If there are nine or ten ACC teams in, then that bodes really well. I would agree. Um, just a quick comparison for us. Uh, now looking at 2011... Um, I was just doing this too, yeah. yeah. <laughs> if you look, so DePaul is obviously cut out here because it's, that was a 16-team league. We're in a 15-team league now. Um, the bottom and Desert Nepal, they could just they should have just been shut out, right? To begin with, but like you look at 12, 13, 14, 15 in, in that big east that would that set the record for most bids. Seton Hall 13 and 18, Rutgers 15 and 17 on like an absolutely garbage non conference schedule. Providence, same deal, 4 and 14, 15 and 17 overall, and then South Florida 3 and 15, 10 and 23. Um, none of the four teams at the bottom of the ACC standings right now are worse than those four teams. No, I mean, I think it just, if things had shaken differently, like, I think aside from BC, you could have argued that any of these teams could have, make it a, could have made a run to the NCAA tournament. Yeah. Um, your schedule or, or something. I would have to concur. Um, Okay. So I guess with the remainder of our time, Dan, is there anything in the larger college basketball world that you're finding of interest at this very moment? Uh, it's just been a kind of a wild year. Like there, there doesn't seem to be a dominant program. Um, I think you have a couple that are like a little bit above, but none of them have proven to be like untouchable. Um, all of them, I think, I don't think anyone, except for Gonzaga, who's undefeated, and we'll probably go that. You know, they'll probably run the table up through the tournament. Um, 
everyone seemed to has a has at least a couple losses. Um, I think you know you still have some of the the you know the, the teams you expect to see at the top. Nova coming off last year, who we all expected to be pretty good, but they've taken a couple lumps in conference. Kansas, I think, uh, should probably finally make like the deep run that we've been looking for from them for a while. Their backcourt it's just awesome. Um, front court is some questions, but I think you know guards winning tournament games. Um, Kentucky obviously has some issues. They're not super uh, like consistent all the time, but they have a ton of talent. What else is new? Um, I think the Zags are probably. I know you're not a huge Zags fan, but I think the Zags are actually probably better positioned to make a deep run than they have been in a long time, just because they have like actual like real high major talent all over the place uh, via transfer and whatnot. Um, I think the team that I'm really intrigued by, and again, another one that you're not in love with, although more on the football side, I think Oregon has kind of flown under the radar. Um, they had a lot of injury issues earlier in the year, uh, but they're out here like 21 and three, first place in the Pac-12. Um, which is a good. Which, I mean, it's not a great league this year, but it has a. It's pretty good. It has a good top four. Yeah, UCLA's had their best year in a while. They're really fun. Arizona is probably like sneakily one of the better teams in the country. Although, and they uh, just got Alonzo Trier back a couple of games ago. Uh, from his mystery, uh, like drug violation, t- drug test violation thing, uh, which was weird. Um, Oregon's a super balanced. I mean, they have ten guys over at like Jordan Bell's at ten point nine points a game. Uh, six guys over eight. So I'm looking forward to seeing them. And obviously, Dylan Brooks like hasn't even been like 100 percent all year. He's only playing 23 minutes a game, uh, and he's one of the best players in the country. So to see when he starts to get unleashed. That should be a lot of fun. Um, I just think it'll be a really fun postseason because there isn't like a, a 2012 Kentucky entering the year, like a, you know what Duke was even supposed to be, um, which you know could have been fun in its own way. But I, I'm actually fine with them kind of scrapping uh, and and looking at like a, a four seed heading in and seeing if they can put it all together at the right time. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'd rather that not happen, but I'm interested to see if it if it does. Um, but I always like these tournaments where, like, you don't you you look at the top three seed lines, and you're like, yeah, these are a lot of teams that could do do this all, and none of these teams are unbeatable. So, um, obviously, that doesn't always make for like the easiest storyline for everyone else to digest, like outside of the uh, the college basketball cognizanti. Uh, but um, for us, I think it's fun, and it and it helps Syracuse because uh, Syracuse is a team that is far from perfect, and yet they are, you know, any given day if they play their A game, they are right there. I would agree. Um, he's closing us out, and I'll start. Dan, I know we always do this kind of pointless exercise in, in both sports um, of pick your final four this late. Um, Ooh, let's see. Actually, you know what we're gonna do? We're gonna do the thing we usually do. I'm gonna pull up. I'm gonna pull up SB Nation's bracketology this time. Yeah, I like this. I like that we're doing this. Yeah, because Lenardi's bracketology sucks. Do, is are we in the, the most recent? Uh, we are actually in the Dobertology. Yeah, we are. In, uh, we are in the playing game. That's fine. Tennessee, who I think we can beat pretty easily, actually. Oh, I would. I would side for that. G- give me. Uh, give me a game against any non-Florida SEC team. And then Xavier, which is just like, like Xavier's kind of scary until you actually watch Xavier. Like, oh, this team just does not play well ever. No. <laughs> They have like a couple of nice days. Like they're supposed to be really good this year. I I'd even be surprised if they were a sit by the end of the year. And then I mean, after that you have Virginia, who we I mean, this is a great I actually love this road. <laughs> um this is super this. hypothetical. 
you get you get Tennessee and then Xavier in round one, and then Virginia potentially in round two, and then the winner of Oregon, who I was just praising, that'd be tough. But you know they're two seeds, so obviously Iowa State, who I don't think is very good, Miami, who uh, has struggled, will not be in the tournament, and is not looking great. Um, yeah, I, I think this is a pretty. I'd much rather have this than the other side, which I'm looking at, where with Purdue as the six, Kentucky as the three. Uh, and UNC is the two. <laughs> um, I, I'd rather avoid that. Yeah, there, there's a lot of there's a lot of problems on the other side of this bracket, but yeah, I, I'm gonna I'm just gonna go starting starting in the East instead of going game, game by game. I'm just gonna pick my elite eight and then, okay. and then say who's gonna win. Um, so looking at the East again, everyone, if you're following along at home and you have access to a computer or a smartphone, you can pull up the latest bracketology from SB Nation um, and that dated two seven. Um, so the, uh, the East, yeah, they have Michigan State and Zane. Michigan State looks terrible right now. <laughs> they do, um, but the number. Oh, this is before uh, last night, I think. Yeah, this is. I'm gonna go with Florida on one side of the bracket, and I'm going with Arizona on the other. And I think Florida beats Arizona in, in that elite eight. And, and and now now it's your turn, Ben. Uh, I agree with you on Arizona. I'm taking Nova out of the top. Um, that's, a tough, that's a tough top half of the bracket. West Virginia, Florida, and I think West Virginia and Florida pose a lot of problems for Nova. I mean, West Virginia will just bully you. Right. Um, and I don't know that they're made for, like, deep tournament run, but they're made to, like, beat one team on a given night. Um, I want to take Arizona with Trier back, and, and Lauren uh, Marconin is awesome. Um, I think Nova's just a little too good. I know that's boring. Uh, I'm going to go with them going back to the Final Four. Fair enough. Um, the Midwest. Looking at the bracket quick. I've got... This This bracket's trash. Um, I've got Kansas and Louisville in the Elite Eight, and I've got Louisville advancing. I'm going to go Kansas and Notre Dame. Uh, Notre Dame's a six. Um... They'd be playing Indiana or Seton Hall if Indiana wakes up. Uh, what, a t- what, a, what a Tom Green it's been this year. <laughs> this is quite, this is the creamiest season we've had, I think, which is saying something, uh, because he lives up to his reputation probably better than any other coach. Um, I wanna take no- I'm going to take Notre Dame. Uh, I think Bonzi Colson would, would give Kansas a lot of issues on the inside. I think Kansas' backcourt's very good, but I think Notre Dame's is underrated, and the Notre Dame team plays better defense than it has in a while, and they could go crazy from the outside. So that would be a really nice, fun matchup. Kansas is more talented and probably has the best backcourt, but I, I really like Notre Dame this year. That's fair. I don't really like anyone in this bracket. And taking a six is more fun. Also fair. Yeah, I don't like anyone in this entire Midwest region. I feel like every one of those teams could very easily lose in like the first round. Save Kansas. Save Kansas just only because they face Sam Houston, but like Kansas against most of the like, like you could talk me into Virginia Tech giving them a fight. Like, there's a lot of oh, games yeah. in this bracket that like Kansas just can't handle, which is why I'm going with Louisville because I feel like there's they had the the least to complain about at least on paper. Um, and Louisville is always a team like kind of like Syracuse in, in the tournament a lot of the time. I don't know if this year will be that year, but just their style is going to give a lot of people serious serious issues. I would agree. Uh, going to the south, um, I've got 
UCLA out of the top half. And I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with Purdue out of the bottom half. Um, actually, no, I'm gonna go with North Carolina. Sorry, I'm gonna go with UCLA North Carolina, a nice blue blood elite eight, and I'm picking UCLA to get through. Yeah, I w- I'm done with UCLA as well. I would have taken Creighton if they were at full uh, capacity, but unfortunately, they're not for the rest of the year. I'll go Kentucky out of the bottom. I'm always kind of a, a sucker for Kentucky to go deep in the tournament. Um, yeah, not that I like. I, I don't know. I, I have a weird relationship with Kentucky over the last couple of years where I like don't want them to do well, but I also really like watching them play. Yeah, but content. Um, yeah, and, and, and content, yes. They are good for that. Um, UNC is good. I feel like Kentucky's ceiling is, as it usually is, uh, better than pretty much anyone else's. Um, and Malik Monk is unbelievable. Darren Fox is awesome. I think uh, they're getting better. Um, so I will take them to beat UCLA and go to the Final Four. All right. And, and that guard matchup would be ridiculous. Oh, that'd be blast. I'd really enjoy that game. That game would be played 200. Uh, what, would the, what would the total points line be on that? Like 197? Mm-hmm. Be I so would... many points. I, I would put the line somewhere in like the 180 range. Yeah, realistically, it'd probably be like 178, 180, and I would probably take the over because those two teams would light up each other. But in a fun way. All right, so the last bracket, um, the West, I'm going with Wisconsin and Virginia, and I think Virginia finally gets themselves into the Final Four. Ooh, um, I'm, I'm tempted to, to just uh, do a full homer and take Syracuse as we outlined <laughs> how this is kind of advantageous if, you know, Syracuse not, wants not to make it. as hard as it should be. <laughs> really, like, this is, like, out of all the different, uh, like, all the different 11 seeds, I would probably take this one or the, uh, or the East um, which would have been South Carolina rematch. Um, Arizona would be tough, but then like Florida State we just beat. But this one's pretty pretty saucy, I think. Um, I will take uh, Duke just because I'm I'm not gonna buy Gonzaga until they actually make a Final Four and win against good teams. Um, although like if they're going to do it, it's probably this year. Uh, Wisconsin, I just I, I think Wisconsin's good. I don't think they have that top. I don't think they're as top uh, heavy and talented as they were a couple years ago when they had like actual NBA talent. Um, so I, I just assume Duke will be really good by the end of the year. And then I'll take Oregon uh, to have a nice elite eight rematch against Duke. And I will take Oregon to win the West. Fair enough. So that leaves so my final four. I got Florida and UCLA on one side. And then I've got Louisville and... UVA. Yeah, on the other, another one of those times where the two ACC teams end up matched up against one another. Um, Virginia has Louisville's number, so I'm putting Virginia into the championship game. Um, and then I've got UCLA beating Florida, though I'm not like completely sold on it. And I've got UCLA beating Virginia in the final. Yeah, so I have Nova Notre Dame, who they played this year, right? Uh... Maybe, probably. Let me look. I feel like they did. That sounds right. I think they did. Notre Dame beat them. Is that one of their two losses? No. I'm looking. Hold on. Butler beat them and Marquette beat them. 
Okay, so oh no, that was a I think that was a crazy game. Uh, yeah, it was seventy four sixty six Nova, but I think it was a comeback. Uh, I think I would take Nova down in that one, and then I have uh, Kentucky versus uh, Oregon. Ooh, um, I think I would go Ducks, and then I I don't like taking Villanova to repeat, but. I feel like they would in that situation. I don't know. Sure. Uh, yeah, I guess that's what's going to happen. I mean, I didn't intend for that to happen when I started, but here Jerry we are. And then goes to coach the Knicks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Rick Pitino sheds a tear for him somewhere. You know what's going to happen. Did you see the – this is like before we hop off. Did you see the replay of what Charles Oakley tried to do to James Dolan today? Oh, Yes. Charles Oakley's the man, and he's he pretty much did what every Knicks fan has wanted to do for years, where he tried to murder James Dolan pretty much in the stands. Charles Oakley moved a bodyguard with, with his pointer finger. Charles, like, Charles he moved a person with one finger. Like, one of the most terrifying people like to imagine lumbering at you like through a crowd. Oh, yeah. He's no, no thanks. Yeah. Hard, hard, hard pass. <laughs> And on that note, uh, I feel like we're good here. Uh, Dan, any parting thoughts? No, I, I'll, I'll do better to not pick Villanova to win the national championship next week when we do this. Yeah, um, please don't. It's traumatizing. I had, I had to watch that shit happen in real time last year, and it was. Uh, <laughs> I don't even hate Nova as much. I mean, I, as much as a lot of people, but I, I just I don't need repeat winners in anything really. So, yeah, I, but oh, picking Oregon just didn't feel right. So there we go. I could have picked Kentucky and then taken them, and no one would have been any happier with me. So. I'll do better next week as long as Chris uh, puts together a bracket that uh, appeals to my senses. You hear that, Chris? Fix the bracket. It's all you, Chris. You did this. <laughs> all right. So uh, that was Dan. I'm John. Thank you, everyone, for listening to Troy Noons and Absolute Podcast. Be sure to rate, review, subscribe on iTunes, on Blog Talk, and uh, go orange. Go orange. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once-a-year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once a year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted.